Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 74th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, virtually an audio lee alongside my friend Adam Goffin. Adam, it's been a tough night, but how are we doing? <laughs> Zach, we're doing okay, but footy, Brighton are apparently good now, footy. Brighton... Brighton are doing something that I don't know if the rest of the league is comfortable with, and it's being a very organized and borderline, I, I would almost say exciting football team to watch. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're they're not doing the, the middle of the table uh, kind of, you know, pedantic defensive, dare I say, Newcastle United football that, that we typically see out of them. They're, they're playing some, some, uh, some entertaining, they're putting out an entertaining product, let's say. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I, I heard that some Brighton fans were diagnosed with vertigo earlier on this week from the dizzy heights of being fourth in the Premier League table. <laughs> uh, yes, a position that they will be expected to hold on to for the remainder of the season um, yeah, until uh, at least Graham Potter gets continuously linked with a possible England job after England, let's say, ties a qualifier and people immediately call for Southgate out um, and Graham Potter in. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I think that that's that's guaranteed to happen, as is Brighton qualifying for the Champions League next season. I mean, if you're not putting on your money on that, what are you doing with your money, let's be honest? I mean, if I was one of the, what was it, like six or seven people that made like tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on Leicester winning the title, I if I'm one of those people, I need to roll the dice a bit on, on Brighton getting into the Champions League. <laughs> yeah, the Amex Stadium, it's coming up. It's coming home. It's coming home. But um, yeah, some so exciting stuff, exciting start to the season for Brighton. Um, in this episode of the False Nines, we will be chatting about our kind of main talking points for the first two weekends of the Premier League season so far, um, covering uh, a few updates on the transfer window front. Uh, reminder, there's one week left in the transfer window, uh, but some interesting moves have been made in, in the last seven or 14 days alone since we last recorded. And then we'll talk a little bit about match week three coming up this weekend, as well as armchair pundits in 10 and 90. Before we get started there and before we get to the first uh, clue and question for Adam's uh, episode consistent trivia. Uh, I do want to just warn the listeners, uh, audio is a little bit spotty tonight. We've been having some AV issues, uh, so we are actually recording a, a phone call that Adam and I are making. Um, if we're not scrappy, then then we're nothing as podcasters, so uh, you'll have to bear with us tonight. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll keep it going from here. Adam, football trivia, what are, what are we looking at today? Another EPL question? Uh, not an EPL question, an English football one. And again, thanks for that intro. Um, you know, we're like you said, nothing is not scrappy, and we want to make sure our listeners get our regularly scheduled bi-weekly episode here. So we're excited to, to put it out today. We've got some great content for you all. Again, English football trivia, though. Um, a question for you. It's not EPL trivia today, and you'll see why in just a second. Here's act. Here's my question for you today. Only two football clubs in England are not named after a place or a location. The most obvious one is Arsenal. Who is the other team that is not named after a place or location? Ooh, th this one is particularly hard for me because as we saw in last episode with your question regarding London clubs, I'm not super familiar with the geography of England, but the English football trivia makes me think it's a team that's not currently in the Premier League. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I'll, I'll, I'll give you more clues as we go through the pod, and I will even let you look at the league table of the league that this team is in before you make your guess. How about that? Uh, I, I appreciate that. One question, though. What is Everton? Everton is actually a borough of Liverpool. Ah, so, okay. yes, Everton, Everton is um, the name of a place in on Merseyside in Liverpool. Okay, that, that is what I expected, but I was like, do I know the answer right off the bat? Because that's not the city that they play in. Um, yep. 
Okay. All right. Fair enough. I, I like that one. That, that'll that be fun. Um, great. Well, from there, Adam, let's hop into our talking points. Uh, two talking points apiece, I, I guess, representative on this episode for the two matches that every club in the Premier League has played. Um, so I'll start with you here. Uh, maybe we'll we'll switch off on this one. Uh, what What is one of your two biggest talking points uh, or maybe questions, statements, predictions from uh, the first two weekends? Um, I think this is the, the talking point on everyone's minds right now. Um, Newcastle sit in the table at 18th. There are only two teams below them in the Premier League table. One, predictably, is Norwich City, who started the season uh, with the unenviable task of playing Liverpool and Manchester City, so no huge surprise to see them bottom of the table. But the other one is Arsenal Football Club. And Arsenal kicked off their season against Brentford um, and obviously just had a more challenging game this past weekend against Chelsea. So the first question I have for you, Zach, is how long do we feel the rope is for Mikel Arteta? And do we think he will last the Premier League season as Arsenal manager? Yeah, definitely, as you said, a question on a lot of football fans' minds. Um, I guess I'll start with the former there. How long is the rope for Arteta? It's it has to be shrinking, right? You know, Arsenal had a, a bit of a kind of an inauspicious end to the season last year, um, missing out on European football, um, and then from there uh, going into this season, you know, not a lot of movement in the transfer window. Um, kind of weird to say with Arsenal spending, um, I think it was north of 150 million pounds, but you look at the Arsenal team today and or that they're, you know, rolling out in the first two weeks and it's almost entirely players that were there last season. You know, a lot of the money that they've spent and we'll, we'll get to um, a couple of these players a bit later when we talk about transfers, but players that were on loan at Arsenal, players that have come up through the academy, um, and it, it has been really, really unimpressive. I, I will say, you know, being without uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Alexander Lacazette in the first match, um, Aubameyang made a, a substitute appearance in the second match, Lacazette did not. Um, that's obviously tough for Arsenal, but nonetheless, I, I mean, getting beaten by Brentford at home, regardless of if you have your top strikers there, is a pretty damning thing to have happen. Uh, and then I will say they, they played it a bit better against Chelsea, but Chelsea always kind of seemed to have a firm grip on that match. So if I had to make a prediction now, I would say I I don't see Arteta lasting the season. I, I think that Arsenal might make a move similar to Chelsea last year, um, getting rid of him just around the holiday period as they as Chelsea did with Lampard and trying to kind of salvage the season for maybe some sort of, you know, resurrection during the second half. Yeah, I think um, lots of great points there. Some things that were interesting for me is Mikel Arteta seems to be a very divisive manager. And when I say that, what I mean is we see a lot of players that he has, you know, really kind of frozen out or alienated that don't necessarily seem to want to play for him. And then he seems to have some real advocates who, you know, sing his praises there. He's a club legend, right? He he built his career at Everton and Arsenal. Um, really, I think the most impressive years of his career were at Arsenal. So he came back as somewhat of a prodigal son to take on the Arsenal role there. But that good favor only and goodwill lasts only for so long we've seen him fall out previously with um players like um Ganduzi in the past where he's been frozen out of the club he finally moved on Mesut Ozil it seems now as that there's been a lot of rumors this summer about Lacazette and Aubameyang moving on now granted they are getting a little bit older but the club made a huge investment in Aubameyang about a year ago um and you know we just we haven't seen him really recapture the form of old since he signed that new contract. And part of that, I think, is is Arteta and the way that he kind of like sets up the team. So I question whether or not he's actually the right man to lead this team forward. There's, there's no doubt that they're in a rebuilding phase at Arsenal, but do you think Arteta is the right man to lead them through that rebuilding phase? I, I just don't really think that Arteta has established kind of an identity as a manager, any sort of unique style of play or, or kind of philosophy for the club. And I, I think to, to answer your question, is he the right man for a rebuild? If there's not that, you know, grand yet 
fairly concrete vision for the club, then no, he's not the right man for the job. And again, I, I think you can make a comparison with Lampard, um, you know, prodigal son without a doubt, uh, coming home to, to manage Chelsea. And for that for that brief period of time that he was the manager, it it just you you asked a lot of questions as to what he was doing with the team, what what was the the kind of vision going forward, rather than putting eleven men out on the pitch and just you know hoping that they all play to the you know uh, elite status that they all hold being Premier League players, and that's kind of the vibe I get from Arteta. So I I personally don't think he is the right man to to kind of take them through a rebuilding phase unless you know he's able to develop that. Uh, entire template for what he wants the club to be. Yeah, that's a great point. I, again, I don't think he has that identity. And con- contrastingly, if you look at Chelsea, uh, your, your point about Lampard was a great one. I don't think they had a true identity. And then you see Tuchel come in, and immediately you've got this solid defensive team um, that will play fast counterattacking football and keep it t- super tight. Um, and it has a lot of talent and skill on the, on the counter-attack. And, and that's how Chelsea has played. And, you know, they won the Champions League last year doing so after being fairly underwhelming in the first half of the season under Lampard. So it just goes to show what a difference a tactically astute coach can make. And when you're in such a critical time as Arsenal are in right now, they've got Manchester City away up this weekend. It doesn't get any easier for them. Um, it, it's, it's a critical time to have the right person in the role. And for the first time, and I've been a... Mikel Arteta apologist for quite some time now. I'm starting to question whether or not he is the right fit for this club at this time. So uh, I, I want to keep this discussion in North London uh, for for one of my two, uh, I, I'd say, biggest talking points from the first couple of weeks. I'll switch clubs to, to Tottenham here. Uh, and I, I think, you know, going into this Premier League season, Adam, one of the biggest uh, pieces of news and kind of media focuses was the what seemed for a while of an impending transfer for Harry Kane moving from Tottenham to Manchester City. You know, we're a week away from the end of the transfer window. Uh, there hasn't seemed to be any progress made on that transfer, although as we know, especially with Manchester City, some some things happen kind of without a lot of fanfare and then suddenly an announcement is made. Um, but Tottenham, on the other hand, looking quite impressive without Harry Kane, getting uh, that shock first weekend victory against Manchester City and then following that up with another victory against Wolves in their second match. Tottenham, one of those six clubs that I mentioned uh, that is still um, at a, a perfect record of six points from two matches. So uh, makes me ask the question, Adam, you know, we saw Kane come on as a substitute in the match against Wolves, he did not score a goal. So two matches, zero goals for Harry Kane. Um, do you think that Tottenham could cope if he ends up going to Manchester City? Do you think that they could avoid kind of the, yeah, I don't know, the disastrous season that a lot of people, I think, have predicted for them should Kane leave? It's a great question. And, and just like one small correction there, Harry Kane did not play in the first game. He didn't make the match day squad in the first game. So yes. I think he, he's, he's only played that small amount of time as a substitute. Correct. But yeah, yes, he's, he's come on in that game. And, you know, Spurs have two 1-0 victories against, um, obviously, Manchester City, the champions in the first game. And then subsequently against a Wolves team that outshot them 25 shots to eight in this game. So... Immediately, what you're seeing from a Nuno Espirito Santo side is just more compact defensively. And what you also see from Nuno Espirito Santo is, I think that's been a blueprint of what he's done at Wolves, is you see goals from all over the pitch, right? You see a lot of midfielders contributing from a goal standpoint. Pedro Neto, who you know I'm a huge fan of, Adama Traore, uh, Ruben Neves, seeing these goals coming from midfield was a really a staple of Wolves, especially last season when they had to do without Raul Jimenez for a long period of time. I bring that up because I feel as though we shouldn't expect anything groundbreaking from Spurs should Harry Kane leave. Um, I think that they will be a compact defensive team. I think that they will edge some games against other teams, and I think they will get beaten by some other teams. I see it being an average season for them should Harry Kane move on. But I would also ask the question, they've known this is coming for quite some time now. We talked very much about this on the last podcast with Grealish. Villa knew that was happening. 
they had their kind of backup plan in place and the players that they wanted to sign now I think the big difference here is we're edging ever closer we're one week today from the end of the transfer window would Spurs have the time if the transfer got pushed through for Kane before the transfer window end to actually bring in any reinforcements given the narrow window of time we have left I don't know could they survive absolutely they're in rebuilding mode um, they have goals from midfield. Deli Ali seems to be back in favor now under Nuno Espirito Santo. He won and scored the penalty this past weekend. So I do think they could manage their way through, but it would be somewhat limping through the season if they had to do it. The the limited time left in the transfer window is, I, th- I think, almost the the biggest the biggest uh, sign that points towards a you know a, a suitably average season for Spurs because they would be getting a massive purse for Kane, but as as you mentioned, it does not like it. it the list is almost inexistent of world class strikers that are on the market right now that you could expect Spurs to bring in for for non Champions League football um, in you know the next seven days. And that's where all the questions kind of come to, to Daniel Levy. You know, how much is he willing to uh, try to iron out the the disagreements or differences with Kane? Um, and how much is he willing to essentially, you know, potentially go through this whole cycle, whether it be in January or next summer? Um, that I think that's the biggest question. And, you know, as is often the case with Daniel Levy, not a lot gets out in terms of kind of his line of thinking. Um, I've always looked at Levy as like a really interesting, almost like enigmatic character um, because so disliked by such a large part of the fan base, but um, a man that we know so little about uh, in kind of the public eye. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next week or so. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, credit to Nuno Espirito Santo for the start to the season, though, and obviously going back to Wolves for that second game, taking three points at his old stomping grounds. Pretty solid start. No complaints from Spurs fans about that start for for Nuno. Absolutely. Um, Okay, Adam, uh, second talking point of the first two weeks. What else is on your mind? Uh, West Ham, top of the league. Um, Two games played, eight goals scored, three against. free-scoring West Ham, four goals in both of their first two games. My question for you, Zach, is are West Ham the real deal this year, or will a European campaign prove to be too much for this squad in terms of toll on the players? It's a tough one. It's it's kind of a head-versus-heart question, because I, I watched the West Ham match against Leicester on Monday. Uh, Adam, I'm making an announcement. My time as a diehard Leicester fan is over. I'm on the West Ham bandwagon. I've always been a West Ham fan, I would argue, and now I'm really revealing my true colors uh, after watching the, the spirited performance they put in on Monday. It, it reminded me of why I chose West Ham as my favorite club as a wee lad. So, first of all, wanted to get that out of the way. Wanted to remove any shadow of doubt where my allegiances lie. Um, yeah, I know. Big, big shakeup right now for my my, my fake fandoms. Um, but, yeah, in actuality, I mean, what, what a fun team to watch, right? It, it reminds you of... You know, Leicester in the the season after they won their title, where a lot of people asked, could they replicate it? And obviously they didn't win the title again, but they they put up a really uh, incredibly respectable campaign. West Ham not coming off the the same level of performance, not winning the title last year, but uh, a lot of question marks coming in. And I mean, Mikel Antonio looking fantastic, obviously breaking the club record for most Premier League goals uh, with two against Leicester. The back line looks vastly improved um, with Craig Dawson kind of fitting in really nicely uh, alongside. Um, uh, oh, shoot. Who is he playing alongside on Monday? Uh, this is escaping me now. I should have should have been ready for that one. Um, but, I mean, it, it, and then. Kufala. It was Kufal. Okay. Uh, and then if the uh, transfer of uh, Kurt Zuma goes through, he would uh, become one of the highest paid players on that team and also most likely a, a starting center back. So uh, I think that West Ham are a formidable opponent for any club at the moment. Um, I, I think that I think that a European co- 
campaign becoming too much for the squad really depends on how much they prioritize that European campaign. Uh, easier said than done, but I, I feel like West Ham are in a really good place right now, kind of building up this club um, and really developing the, the talent that they have and the team that they have that it might be advantageous for them to, to kind of treat the Europa League is a bit of a throwaway and, and not jeopardize their position in the league. Um, I don't think they have a ton of depth in that lineup. I mean, behind uh, Antonio, you have Yarmolenko, who has not been terribly prolific in the Premier League. Uh, in midfield, Mark Noble, obviously, you know, the the, the club legend, but a man that is, is certainly coming towards the end of his effective uh, playing career. Um, so, yeah, one of those cases where I, I think you really have to figure out what your priorities are in the domestic season. And then from there, uh, kind of decide how much investment you want to put into the European cup that you'll be participating in. Yeah. I think that's a great, some great shout outs there. Um, and and it, it remains to be seen. I'd be disappointed if they didn't put a lot of stock in Europa league after working so hard to get back into Europe last season, it would be almost disappointing and anticlimactic to, to see them not, give it a really good shot in Europe this year because why not? Why not West Ham? Um, they could totally make a good run in that competition. We've had English clubs succeed in that competition for many of the last seasons. Why not, why not that? Uh, the, la- the last point I would make there on that topic is um, I've been really impressed so far this year, and I know we're only two games in, so very early to say, but Said Ben Rama looks like a, a player that's finally regained the confidence that he had when he was playing for Brentford before he made the move to the Premier League. Um, looks like a player that's really playing out of his skin right now. I hope that he can continue that form because when he's on, he really makes West Ham tick. Absolutely. Uh, really, really nice goal against Leicester that he scored and um, just a, a really good overall game uh, by him uh, kind of playing as that, I don't know, eight or more more of a 10, but uh, like an eight or a 10, kind of depending on the, the situation he was put in. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, they, they were even before the Iosi Perez red card, which obviously changed the game as any red card will. Um, West Ham was looking really, really solid and really exciting going forward. And um, they, they've looked that way for the entirety of the 180 minutes that they've played in the Premier League so far this season. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I hope that they have a nice run in the Europa League and hope that they can maintain the form uh, in the Premier League as well and, and kind of create uh, some bit of variety towards the, the typical top five, top six that, that we've had over the last few seasons. Yeah, I hope that if we get to the January transfer window and they're still competing in multiple cup competitions and, you know, in the in and around the European spots in the Premier League, that we, we might see some more investment from um, from the West Ham board in, in January. I would love to see the same thing. Yeah, as I said, a lifelong hammer. So just want to see my, my team succeed, Adam. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a dramatic switch from... <laughs> from our last podcast we've automatically just become this like huge hammers fan now so uh, yeah. interesting i've i've become a lifelong hammers fan after they defeated my my former my my ex-girlfriend that is lester city um and with and, I, and, and your current girlfriend who is newcastle <laughs> no newcastle and i newcastle and i are on and off and we are absolutely off right now <laughs> fair um that is totally fair Last thing I want to bring up before we take our, or before I get the next clue from your trivia and we take our first commercial break, um, is the performance of one Paul Pogba in the central of midfield for Manchester United uh, after a, a really, really remarkable first performance of the season uh, in match week one, where Pogba, I would argue, was was probably the uh, best player in the Premier League, putting up four assists three of which for the Bruno Fernandes hat-trick, followed up with another assist in Manchester United's second game of the season. Um, so Pogba, again, five assists in two matches, a, a pretty remarkable clip to start the year. And uh, it makes you ask the question, he's already a fourth of the way to the record for most assists in a Premier League season. Uh, that would be 20 assists held by both Kevin De Bruyne and Thierry Henry. Um, so doing some quick math, we are one eighteenth of the way into the season, or excuse me, one nineteenth of the way into the season, and he's one fourth of the way to the record. Do you think Paul Pogba has a realistic chance of breaking that record? 
I mean, there's a chance, obviously. He started off red hot. Do I think he'll do it? No, I don't. Um, I think that Pogba is a player that is, of any players in the Premier League, one of those players that's a confidence player. At some point, he'll he'll run cold, and it'll take him a while to play himself back into form. And he also has injury problems as well. He doesn't stay fit for an entire season either. So I, I don't think that Paul Pogba will necessarily break that record, although kudos on a really fine start to um, the season for Manchester United. And, you know, he had a pretty impressive Euros, all things considered, given given France did not. Actually, I thought Pogba was one of the few players that came out of that, that team looking a little bit more impressive. So maybe maybe he's played himself into some form and he'll prove me wrong, but my, my guess is that he will not beat that record. Okay. All right. We will have to keep an eye on that. Obviously, Manchester United almost always, uh, you know, always one of the most uh, televised teams in the Premier League. So we'll have quite a few chances to continue our, our kind of Pogba tracking as the season goes on. Um, all right, Adam, before we take our commercial break, hit me with your clue number one for the English football trivia of the episode. I'd be happy to. Okay, so a reminder for the question. Only two football clubs in England are not named after a place or a location. Arsenal is one. Who is the other? The first clue for you, Zach, you'll love this one. This team currently plays their football in the EFL League 2. All right. Okay. I love it. I love it. We're 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 going we're going down the barrel. So that is you know the a, fourth tier, if you will. I I absolutely will. Um. So, all right. I'll 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 chew on that while you um chew on. Oh God, that was that was poor. Uh, if you are eating anything, <laughs> chew on it while we take our first commercial break, and we will be <laughs> we will be we will be hopefully right back. Hopefully, our sponsor will be something that you can chew. Oh, oh my goodness. Some 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 delicacy. That's what we pray the the advert is today. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute with uh, the second section of the false nines. All right, and we are back with the latter half of episode 74 of the false nines. Adam, let's jump into some of the transfers that have taken place involving Premier League clubs since we last recorded two weeks ago on the day. Um, first one that I think is one of the transfers that makes the most sense to me uh, of, of the ones that we've picked out for this episode. Brandon Williams going from Manchester United to Norwich on a loan. I think a perfect move for a player that was not going to be getting into that Manchester United team uh, with without any sort of dramatic injuries happening to several players. Uh, and one that will be, I would assume, expecting to start, if not you know, guaranteed starting position with the contract negotiations. Yeah, Norwich needed some defensive help. Uh, Brandon Williams checks that box for them. I think it's a little bit of a no-brainer there. Um, and having him come in, I think, will allow them to have a kind of a big club mentality player come in and, and make an immediate impact there. And, you know, there, he was very highly regarded a season and a half ago as somebody who they thought was going to really kind of come through the ranks and be starting on a regular basis at Manchester United. It hasn't panned out. So maybe this is the first step to kind of getting him there. You know, there's been plenty of players that have, have left Manchester United on loan and have come back and, and had has successes there. I'm sure they hope that Brandon Williams will be a player that they can add to that list. Absolutely, especially with, you know, the number of academy products that are currently starting in that Manchester United team with Rashford and, and Greenwood being, you know, the, the most obvious to uh, an academy that is as of recently priding itself in in kind of producing uh, talented players for the first team and hopefully for William's sake uh, he can he can kind of be added to that list after uh, what would be a, a beneficial period at Norwich um, any other transfers that uh, you want to dig into today or is that is that the only one we're going to talk about Brandon Williams uh, not the only one we're going to talk about there are six in total including Brandon Williams let's pivot over to Arsenal they've been kind of making some moves here in the transfer market before the window has closed. Some might say a knee-jerk reaction to what had happened with the loss in the first game to Brentford, but both of these players, in truth, have been, you know, one, one of them was on loan at Arsenal last season. The other one has been somebody they've been touted the links with for quite some time. Uh, but putting their hands in the pocket to the tune of 65 million British pounds for two players, Martin Odegaard can completing his permanent transfer from Real Madrid to Arsenal for $35 million. And, and Aaron Ramsdale, 
um, somebody who I've highly rated, you've been a bit skeptical on in the past, from Bournemouth to Arsenal uh, for $30 million. Um, I'll be honest, that's pretty lofty price for a goalkeeper that is not going to be starting for you on a regular basis. I think Leno will probably continue to be the starter there. Um, so a very hefty price tag. Uh, they had Matt Ryan there last year, kind of came in on loan. I don't know why they couldn't have gone that route again with somebody who would be a little bit cheaper, but maybe they think that Ramsdale will be the long-term successor to Leno. Absolutely. I, I mean, I would think that that has to be kind of part of the thinking here. I, I've heard from a number of, of gunners uh, with with whom I, I associate with that there there are a lot of rumors within the Arsenal community that Burn Leno wants out and uh, potentially you know could be sold before the end of uh, the transfer window in a week, um, and that Ramsdale might be being brought in as the immediate replacement for Leno. Uh, totally unsure if that will happen in the immediate future, but you're right. Like 30, 30 million pounds does not sound like a backup keeper, um, and you'd you'd have to think that they are preparing for the future, whether the future comes right now or in the next six to twelve months. Yep, I think it's a great great point. So I, I didn't hear that rumor, by the way, about. Um, Leno potentially leaving, so it would make a heck of a lot more sense for that transfer fee if that was something that they, they are anticipating is going to happen. Uh, a couple of other transfers of note, um, Kiri, who has been really a bit part player at Liverpool for several years now, has won a Premier League and a Champions League, though, so I'm sure he'll sleep well at night, has made the move <laughs> from Liverpool to Lyon for $9 million. Lyon, um, really my, my French team, I lived in Lyon for um, best part of a year growing up and was able to see a lot of games there. They're, they're, they're a club in crisis right now, um, absolute shambles of a club right now. Um, they are selling off their best players. Obviously, Memphis Depay left for Barcelona this summer. Um, there's rumors about Awar leaving as well, who's really their brightest prospect at the moment. Shakiri going over there. Um, <laughs> it, it just it just seems like a, a desperate transfer from Leon and Shakiri, a player who has moments of magic, but he's never going to be a 20 goal a season striker for you. Absolutely. Uh, he'll, he'll never be a striker for you, really, I, I think, at all. Um, a, a player who, you know, has is, is always been kind of positioned on the wing and at the attack, attacking midfield. But nonetheless, I agree with you. And I, I think that, you're, like, jokes aside, Shakiri sleeping well at night with the Champions League and the Premier League is it, it, probably part of this. He's a, a player who has played um, for, you know, clubs all across Europe and just another stop here. I, I don't believe that he's played in uh, in France before. So um, I think I think a player who, yeah, is, is kind of sunsetting his career in, in the relative future and uh, willing to go to a, a club that, you know, might not be competing at the top level at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to miss Shakir. I've always, I've always really enjoyed watching Shakir. He, you know, he has that, that kind of, that, that kind of, uh, toughness I, I remember his uh his what was it his nickname like eight years ago when he was at um when he was playing in germany was i think the atomic hamster i think i heard him called uh one time so i have always wow. loved shakiri he, he's always good for a like a, a, a true world-class goal once a season every single yeah. season he has like a potential ballon d'or nominee <laughs> or excuse me um uh not ballon d'or nominee uh puskas award nominee yeah, and he's still a very likable player, I think, you know. Um, but, you know, coming up to the end of his career, I'm sure he's got a decent payday from Leon for this. So um, probably checks a lot of boxes for everybody, I guess, here. Um, two more signings to talk of. Uh, the first one, uh, Lester signing, so you'll be excited about this. Also, given the fact you're donning a vest tonight, you'll be excited to hear Lester have signed Yannick Vestergaard um, from Southampton for $15 million. Very well done. Uh, thoughts, thoughts on that one, Zach? Uh, yeah, a, a really, really puzzling transfer from the Southampton perspective. Vestergaard, you know, a, a player who has, has been a, a pretty out-and-out out starter for Southampton uh, over his career at the club. And Southampton, a team that has sold now a number, uh, we talked about it last time with Ings, uh, Bertrand, both going as well as Mario Lamina. Um, and now Vestergaard is selling a number of players that are, you know, these consistent uh spots in the starting 11 so i 
I, I really, really wonder what is the, the game plan for Southampton going forward. Uh, I think for Leicester, uh, good good to have the additional depth. Soyuncu, since his premier, since his debut in the Premier League two seasons ago, has, has kind of regressed a little bit. We saw um, him be uh, on the hook for one of the goals against oh. West Ham, a really just horrible, horrible mistake with a, a wayward back pass that led directly to a West Ham goal. Um, so yeah, I mean, a, a transfer that makes sense for Leicester and makes a lot less sense in my mind for Southampton. I think the bottom line is there, you get the nail on the head is Southampton are a selling club. They, they have been for many, many years. They've been a Liverpool feeder club for many years as well. And you look at the players that have made the move from Southampton to Liverpool, Virgil van Dijk, top of that list. Um, but several other examples of that too. Um, and they seem to find and unearth these kind of like lower league talents or young prospects. They have a great academy there at Southampton. Um, and they seem to bring these players through and survive despite all of that. So I wouldn't be happy, though, if I was Ralph Hasenhutl right now, given all of the outgoing transfers that you see. They've had some investment coming back in, as we talked about Adam Armstrong coming in to replace Danny Ings. But, you know, I mean, it, it's not ideal. It's it's a lot of turnover for a club that hasn't had a lot of stability in recent years from a playing staff standpoint. And I, I wonder if this is really something that Southampton can, can continue on down this path in the long term and not expect it to catch up with them in terms of like potential relegation. I agree entirely. I mean I, I genuinely wonder how much they how much they put their entire survival and their entire health as a club on the fact that James Ward Press wants to play his entire the his entire career at Southampton. Ward Press signing an extension and, and I, I read a number of reports that he himself rejected moves to to quote-unquote larger clubs because of how dedicated he is to Southampton. And it, it really does make you wonder, like, how much are, – are they, are they you know, are they so sure that his free kicks will, will provide enough goals to keep them in the Premier League? Because, as you said, like, you could easily see this team slipping into a relegation fight if – Armstrong, that you know, Adam Armstrong has has scored so far in his his uh, Premier League time with Southampton. But if you know, if Armstrong doesn't pan out as a you know a full fledged replacement for Danny Ings, um, where are the goals going to come from? That's that's I, that's a big yeah. question I have. Yeah, that's a great question. And if we've learned nothing from this season so far, it's that in order to be loyal to your team, you have to have a double barrel last name, James Ward Prowse. Hyung Min Son, great examples of players that have been loyal and signed new contracts. Jack Grealish, no double barrel last name, on his way to Manchester City, has scored this past weekend. So that's that's a, that's my point, my correlation I'm making here. And the last transfer for um, our update on this pod, I'm going to make you say it because I can't. I literally cannot say this. Chelsea to Besiktas, um, a loan signing for the season. It's a Chelsea striker. Who is it, Zach? It's Mitch Michy Batuai. Unfortunately, <laughs> leaving too, leaving the I did a little bit. I struggled on the first name, which is unexpected. There, uh, le- leaving Chelsea to Besiktas, as you said, and unfortunately, probably leaving our our dialogues for the foreseeable future until he comes back into the Premier League. Uh, but you know, uh, another one that. I maybe would not have picked Besiktas out of a hat, but I think that he's quite low on the Chelsea pecking order in terms of strikers, especially after the purchase of Lukaku. So, I, not not a lot to be surprised of there. Yeah, I think I think I think if you're a smart man, you put money on Batshuayi. Is that right? Yeah, you That's nailed it. it. You yeah. nailed it. <laughs> Never playing another game for Chelsea again. Um, I think I think that you know he's he's definitely on the outs here, and this loan signing will probably lead to a permanent one. Yes, yeah. Whether it be to Besiktas or another club uh, in in Europe, or maybe he comes to MLS. Who knows? Who knows? All the best for for Michi. We're we're gonna miss uh, bastardizing your last name every other episode. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to find a new victim now. Yes, we we undoubtedly will. Okay, well, as I've continuously said throughout this episode, we have a week left in the uh, transfer window. Um, you know, we, we'll see what high-profile transfers we have to talk about in our next episode. Um, 
if and maybe we'll we'll have to do an emergency pod if the if the cane transfer actually goes through uh, but we yeah we will we'll absolutely keep you updated um before then we do have match week three coming up on the weekend uh, we we have a few tasty matchups in this one adam i have a feeling that i know which ones you are most looking forward to um but why don't you go ahead and and confirm my thoughts for the listeners which matches are you going to have your eyes on uh, this weekend Yep, so the first one, I, we already alluded to it earlier when speaking about Arsenal. Manchester City versus Arsenal. Mikel Arteta returning to the Etihad as manager of Arsenal against his um, his tutor, I guess, in Pep Guardiola, who really taught him everything he knows from a managerial standpoint. Put your smart money on Manchester City to win this game. Uh, it's only going to go one way. And I think that Arsenal are going to be further in the muck after this weekend. But they're, they'll be fine, though, because they've got Watford, Newcastle, and Norwich to rely on, who will keep them up this season. Uh, the second game uh, I will probably look forward to the most, I would say here, is Liverpool versus Chelsea. Liverpool champions of England two seasons ago. Chelsea champions of Europe last season. Tuchel with his... Uh, really, really predominant style of being very defensively minded and Liverpool starting to become more free-scoring five goals and no goals conceded in their first two games. This one's going to be a treat to watch at Anfield. Yeah, this is absolutely the the pick of the letter on the weekend. Uh, two clubs that, you're right, like are, are, are looking like they'll be fighting in, in the top four, if not for the title, as the the season progresses, a lot of nice subplots on this one, Adam. You know, we're you know we're we're both big fans of the subplots. Uh, two German managers who have both managed Borussia Dortmund. That's, I mean, that's a top subplot for you. I like that. I like that. And two teams that have won the Champions League in the last three years. Oh. Okay, you're 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 challenging me to, to come out with a third one here. Uh, two teams that have a player in the center center of midfield whose name ends in Inyo. Oh, two teams that play their football in the Premier League. <laughs> I I can't best that. I mean, that's that's that is insight and expert level analysis. If there ever has been, but yes, I was struggling. I was trying to come up with a transfer link between the two, and I had nothing. So uh, that that was my that was my best effort. No, you, and and a great effort, and a a true and uh, valid fact that you did give the listeners. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, this is this is the match to to keep your eye on, without a doubt. Um, lucky, luckily for us, it's actually at a watchable time here in Denver at ten thirty in the morning. So um, it will yep. be it will be a cracker uh so i mean those are the marquee matchups on the weekend i i want to point out two matchups I'll, I'll quickly run through here that are a little bit less high profile but i think have some interesting kind of storylines to them first is brighton versus everton we've talked quite a bit today uh, about how impressed we've been with brighton albeit just two matches into the season i think everton's a really great test for them i i think that you know nobody is expecting brighton to maintain their place in the top four but Everton have faltered a bit so far in the season. They have uh, four points in their two matches, so uh, less than Brighton. And I think that um, as we saw against Leeds in their first match, uh, a team that uh, can concede does not have the most uh, sturdy defense in the Premier League. So interested to see that one, see if Graham Potter can kind of continue this uh, really great run of form that the Brighton has shown uh, this season and at the end of last season. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that's going to be a fun one to watch and probably a little bit more unexpected. Everton seems to be free scoring and free conceding so far this season. Again, defensively not as astute as they have been. Uh, but Rafa Benitez, again, undefeated to start as Everton manager. And Graham Potter with two wins from two should be a good one to watch. Yes. And the other one I will point out here, um, maybe even lower profile, Aston Villa against Brentford. Um, the Two teams that, that are, well, I, I'd say starting with Brentford, a team that has very much impressed, also undefeated in their two matches with a win against Arsenal, followed by a nil-nil against Crystal Palace. Uh, and then Aston Villa um, beaten in their first match against Watford, uh, kind of a punch in the mouth. It almost 
felt like, uh, and then defeating uh, our beloved Newcastle United fairly handily uh, in their second match. So um, will be, again, an interesting test for um, in the, the club beginning with B uh, in Brentford. And we will see um, kind of where this one, you know, where the entertainment will come from here. If it'll be an Ivan Tony versus Danny Ings scorathon, or if there will be uh, some other aspects in it. Yeah, another another good subplot there is we've got the championship's top scorer from last season in Ivan Tony being pitted against the championship's top scorer from two seasons ago, Sammy slash Ollie Watkins. Ooh, I did not realize that. Wow, that is... Yeah, yeah. That's a, he hasn't played this season yet, um, so he's, his fitness is in question, but they're hoping that he'll be back for this game, Ollie Watkins. Keep an eye on it, guys. Sammy slash Ollie Watkins may be participating in this match. <laughs> More than likely it will be Ollie Watkins, but Sammy may be there too. Who knows? Yes, yes, a closet football player. Uh, all right, Adam, let's go into the final two segments of our episode today. Armchair Pundits. I got a good one for you, but I want to hear yours first. To remind everyone before we jump into this armchair pundits, Adam and I will each give an opinion or a quote-unquote take that might be a bit outlandish to a lot of listeners. So, Adam, what are you going with? Uh, Very simple one. Patrick Vieira, Crystal Palace manager, will not last the season as their manager. Adam. Adam. My armchair pundit that I wrote down, and I will point out to our listeners, Adam and I do not know what each other are putting for our armchair (laughs) pundits. I wrote verbatim, Patrick Vieira is fired before 2022. (laughs) That's fantastic. All right, well, we're we're clearly on the same page, and this has never happened before where we've had the same armchair pundits. That's... That's astonishing. Uh, okay, yeah, let's let's rapid fire this one because I I yeah we are we are really in sync today despite all the the audio issues that we're having. Um, give me give me some reasons, Adam, and I'll, I'll give you some in return. Uh, Palace have started the season with two goalless games, three 0 defeat at Chelsea, not unexpected, but a more concerning draw, nil nil at home to Brentford. In their next five games, they have West Ham, Spurs, Liverpool, Brighton, and Leicester. I see them maybe getting two points from that group of fixtures. And if that's the case, it would be two points from 21 to start the season. Um, they looked poor offensively against Brentford. Zaha and Benteke are not in great form right now. Um, relatively inexperienced backline, certainly from a Premier League standpoint. And I think that Vieira has a 41% win percentage as a manager. And most of that is actually inflated by having managed NYCFC. And if you can't win in MLS, what are you even doing as a manager? This is this is continuing to, to become more and more uh, unbelievable for me because I nearly wrote exactly the same things that, that you just said for my rationale. Um, and wow, great minds think alike, Adam. Uh, yes, Crystal Palace... Two matches, zero goals, uh, only three shots on target so far. Um, I, I, a question I would have to, to make a callback here. Why Why is Michi Batshuayi going to Turkey when Crystal Palace clearly could use him back at their club, even if he was not the most prolific goal scorer uh, when, when playing for them? The next five matches, I too was going to point that out. Uh, a really tough run of fixtures. Um, and then... You, you nailed it right on the head. Vieira, a low win percentage as a manager and just very little managerial experience uh, in general. NYCFC, uh, and then only 18 months at Nice before getting fired from that job. So, uh, yeah, yeah, seems like a and bit... He let, and he let ASM go from that club as well. He, he had a fallout with Alan St. Maximin and let him go from Nice to Newcastle. We, we, we cannot speak... We can't speak highly of a man who who lets Alan St. Maximin waste his career away at Newcastle. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I I I suppose in a way I'm I'm kind of upping the ante on this one. Uh, Patrick Vieira definitely fired before the end of the season, but I think he'll be fired before the turn of the year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised with that, especially with the upcoming fixtures that they have there. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow, this is I'm I'm still uh, I'm still quite buzzing about uh, the coordination on that armchair pundits. Let's take it into <laughs> ten and ninety, Adam. Let's let's finish it strong. Uh, ten and ninety. We're going through ten questions in well over ninety seconds. Uh, Adam, do you want to go first or second on this one? I'll go first on this one. There's no way we have overlap here, so um, we should be fine. Alrighty, start us off. All right. The reason I know we don't have overlap is because I'm going for hypotheticals, your favorite topic this time around. What a treat. Yeah, I know you enjoy these. So, all right, first question. If you could choose David Moyes, Mikel Arteta, or Rafa Benitez to take over from Steve Bruce as Newcastle manager, who would you choose and why? And before you answer, I'm picking managers that have been previously linked or have previously managed Newcastle and are currently managing Premier League teams here. So it's David Moyes, Mikel Arteta, or Rafa Benitez. If Steve Bruce were to leave tomorrow, who would you want to take over and why? A great question. Um, I, I think it would it would certainly be Rafa for me. I, I'm trying to think of this in the most kind of pragmatic way. And really, it's it's just as, as how recently he has managed the club. There, there are a handful of players who, who played for Rafa Benitez and are familiar with his style of managing. And I think that the Newcastle team, which is not, is not overly impressive right now, would fit his style uh, of managing. A very defensive-minded uh, manager Rafa Benitez has always been, and we do have some some flair and speed on a counterattack uh, with Alan St. Maximin being the, the main man. Uh, Miggy Almiron would finally be placed back into his uh, proper role as the number 10 rather than the number 8 that Bruce, for some reason, thinks he'll ever be able to play. Uh, so yeah, definitely, definitely Rafa for me on that one. Okay, makes sense. All right, question number two. Who will be Manchester City's top scorer this season, and how many goals will they score? Hmm. Ooh, I quite like that one. Um, I will say that their top scorer will not be Gundogan, as it was last season. Um, I think that... Hmm. Jeez, I mean, this is so dependent on the Kane transfer and if that goes through. Um, hey, let, let's let's give Phil Foden a shout. Let's say that it's Phil Foden. Um, I'll, I'll say that he uh, puts up 10 goals for Manchester City. All right, so you're not, you're not counting the fact that we could see Harry Kane move over there and potentially do that. You're, you're skeptical there, I would say. Yeah, yes. That, that would be, okay. yes, de- dependent on Kane not going there. Got it. Okay, I like that. I like Phil Foden too. Uh, which current, in, sorry, question number three. Which current Premier League winger would you most like to see converted into a striker role? I'll have Thierry Henry back in the day. Hmm. Ooh. Which Premier League winger would I most like to see converted into a striker's role? Um. Hey. That's a really interesting question. Technically, Mikel Antonio is a winger who is now playing as the number nine for West Ham. So I guess he's already been converted. Um, in terms of current wingers who could become a striker, uh, I think I'll go with a hometown boy. I think that Christian Pulisic has shown that he can play kind of off the shoulder. I think it would have to be in a two-man uh, striker you know, setup. I don't think he could lead the lines by himself. But I think that Pulisic and the type of player he is, both as a speedy player and a player who who does seem to make really nice off-ball runs, I think he could do well as somebody playing off the shoulder of Lukaku if for some reason that ever came to be. Cool. I like that one. I like that you also picture U.S. boy Pulisic for that answer. All right, question number four. I had to modify this one slightly as we went through the pod today, so apologies for this. If you didn't support Newcastle, Leicester, or West Ham, which other English football team would you support? Hmm. Nice. Good edit. Um, English Premier League team? English football team. It could be any any league. Ooh. Well, I am a Scunthorpe fan, so I will say Scunthorpe. Scunthorpe is my my lower, lower, lower league side um, purely because of FIFA, uh, because of many times getting randomly matched with Scunthorpe. So uh, they are an easy selection for me. I did know that, and then as a result, they are in League 2, so you should totally nail this English football trivia question here in a few minutes. Wow. Okay. 
All right, yeah. I should. If you know Scunthorpe, you know the teams are playing against this season, so it should be it should be if, just natural for yeah, you to answer if, this one. If I know Scunthorpe, my joking club through FIFA, I should know the other the other <laughs> twenty plus clubs applying their trade league to. Simple logic, right there. Easy. All right. Question number five. Final question before we get your bonus question. Um, this one's very simple. Who is the most overrated player in the Premier League? Hmm. Another great, great question. Most overrated player in the Premier League. Give me a few seconds here. I'm kind of cycling through um, players that are rated quite highly in the Premier League. Um, While you're thinking about it, Zach, I'm just going to tell you that the correct answer is Declan Rice, but you should have your own opinion as well. Nice, nice. Had to get your Declan Rice jab in there. Played so well against Leicester. Um, uh, okay, uh, the most overrated player in the Premier League is. Um, I had one, but I don't think it's a viable answer. Um, 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 most overrated player in the Premier League. Shoot. Um. All right, let's let's pull one out of the hat here. Let's not drag this on and on. Um, I will say that the answer to that question is Dominic Calvert-Lewin, only because that'll piss you off. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a terrible answer to that question. Yeah, no, I, I know he he's he is not very overrated. I think he's a he's a quality player, but I I yeah I. I don't know. That's that, let me. I, I'm going to come back with a real answer. I'm going to think about this while I ask my questions because I do not have an answer off the top of my head, but I want to come up with one. All right, sounds good. Well, then, before you go into your question, pronounce this Welsh word for me. Of course. Zach. It is M E L Y N. Merlin. It's melon. Okay. And it means and it means yellow. Yellow. Like you're you're continuing with the uh, you're continuing with the uh, the color trend. It's been what? How many episodes in a row has it been now? It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm, I'm enjoying them. There's some good colors in there, and they're not always obvious by way of the letters that are in the words. Yes, I would I, I would agree with that. Now you're you're tossing out some some fun ones. So I like this. My 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 rainbow as it pertains to whales should be should be getting pretty good. <laughs> I like it. All right, what you got for me today? Okay, 10 and 90 um, questions. Uh, starting off, I have one that deviates from the theme of the next few. Uh, so question number one, after two matches, how many teams have not yet conceded a goal in the Premier League? I'm allowed to cheat. You are not allowed to cheat. Oh, dang it. Um, I can tell you that I know that Liverpool and Chelsea have the same record where they've scored five and conceded zero. So they are two teams. Yep, that is correct. Uh, I know West Ham have definitely conceded because we scored against them. Uh, Spurs haven't conceded yet. They're they're two and zero. They both won both their games one nil. I'll go for those three. Three. Uh, those three are correct. And Brentford is the final club. Oh, I wouldn't have got that one. That's that's good. Considering they bought Christopher Iyer that we were supposed to be linked with, and they've now conceded no goals. Feels great. <laughs> great stuff for Newcastle, who are defensively terrible right now. Yeah, good, good stuff. Um, okay, great. So that's my my one general Premier League question, and now we're going to go into the theme of the remainder of the questions. Mikel Antonio, the a club legend at West Ham. I I was shocked to find out that 48 goals made him the highest scoring player in Premier League history for West Ham, considering how long they have been around uh, in the top division. But I do love Mikel Antonio, so was excited to see it. Um, so yeah, have a handful of questions for you, Adam. Uh, question number one for Mikel Antonio. Question number two overall: What country does Mikel Antonio represent? It's not. I feel like he's wanted to represent England, hasn't he? I thought he was hanging out for an England cap for a while, and has refused to represent anyone else. Or did he finally play for someone like the Cameroon? I want to say like somebody tried to get him to play for the Cameroon or something like that. 
Um, I'll take the camera in as your guess. Uh, the first part was correct. He was holding out for an England role for quite a long time and actually did get called up to the England uh, senior team several different times, but never made an appearance for them. And because of that, uh, has now shifted his focus and his representation over to Jamaica, which is the Jamaica. the the native country of his parents, making him eligible to play for Jamaica. I felt like I was really close on that one. I, uh, I, I thought I, I thought I might know that one, but yes, I know he wanted to play for England for the longest time. Yeah, that is completely true. Uh, question number three, Adam: How many games has Mikel Antonio played for his country of Jamaica? And I will give you five on either side. Remember that Antonio is thirty years of age. When did he make his debut for Jamaica? I cannot give you that answer. Uh, I'll go with twenty appearances. <laughs> Unfortunately, just outside the range there, Adam. <laughs> Mikel Antonio has not played a game for Jamaica um, <laughs> because he was holding out for an England role up until earlier this year when in February he finally accepted the invitation that had been longstanding to play for Jamaica. And despite the fact that they had CONCACAF games uh, over the last six months, was only able to clear his passport just this month. So he is now officially able to play for Jamaica and will be playing his first game for them in the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. Can't wait. It's must-see football right there. Love it. Yes, absolutely. Um, Okay, question number four. Uh, this is a, a real fun one. On the 27th of February in uh, 2016, Mikel Antonio scored the only goal in a home win for West Ham over Sunderland. He celebrated by lying on his side and spinning in a circle, imitating a celebration <laughs> by which cartoon char- which animated Homer TV show Jay. character? <laughs> yes. Homer Simpson is correct. Yep, and I, and I would just say, whoop, 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 whoop. Very nice, yes. Which is um, exactly what Homer said during that time. Exactly, yeah. Um, Can I tell you, I'm re-watching The Simpsons with Emma, and we're on season six. Wow, that's amazing. What a great show. Yeah. I've, I've not paid enough time watching The Simpsons, but always find it funny when it does come on. Yeah, she, she loves the start of the episode the most, where they have the couch sequence where they're always doing something different on the couch at the start yes um, so that, that's her favorite part of every episode she loves that bit i will i will say that the simpsons movie is to this day i think one of the funniest movies i've ever seen yeah i also love that <laughs> Mikel antonio did that celebration against the Mackums of all teams I, I haven't seen it so I, i'm gonna go look that up after we're finished in the pod here Yes. Um, yeah, great fact. You, you can assume that Sunderland supporters found no humor in that uh, because they're <laughs> a lousy bunch. Um, okay, question number five, pertaining to Mikel Antonio kind of indirectly. Um, Jamaica is a country that uh, I guess holds a, it's not a record, it's not a title, but holds an interesting fun fact about their nation's flag the jamaican national flag do you know what this fun fact that makes jamaica the only country in the world that can claim this about their national flag might be i don't i want to say that the colors are like black green and yellow yeah i don't know what what is unique about it yeah so i found this out recently there i would be i'd be wildly impressed if you knew this fact um Correct. The, the country's colors on the national flag, black, green, and yellow, which makes Jamaica the only country in the entire world that has a national flag that does not contain any of the colors of red, white, or blue. Wow. That is a really cool fact. I like that. I'm glad. I'm glad that you liked it. And that, yeah. 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 Crazy fact. Wild. Wild to think that not one other country uses colors other than red, white, or blue, but it is true. It's very unoriginal of all those over the other countries. Yeah, Jamaica. We gotta want now. We we gotta get Antonio Jamaica jerseys. I, I mean, sure. I sure. If you're buying. If you're buying me one, I will wear it. Speaking of that, though, did you see the kits that Ajax released? The Bob Marley kits. I did see those. They were cool. Oh. Shout, shout out to shout out to Dave, um, friend of the pod, 
who um, actually shared the pictures of those in a group chat. So I have seen what you're talking about. They they were getting some really good uh, positive positive spins from from media. Gorgeous, gorgeous kids. Yeah, if you haven't seen them, definitely look them up. They are just absolutely very, very, very beautiful. Very beautiful kids and a great tribute to a musical and cultural legend in Bob Marley. All right. Yep. Do you, nice. want, do you want to try and give your most overrated player or are you still going to cop out? Oh, um, I, to be honest with you, didn't think. Oh, Oh, it was right in front of me the whole time. Jordan Pickford. <laughs> That's, oh, it's simple. <laughs> it's the correct answer. Nice, oh. nice. I like that one. I, I was yep. so close with my joking guess of Dominic Calvert-Lewin that I, I didn't see what was right in front of me. It has to be Jordan he, Pickford. He did have such a great Euros, though. Like, Doesn't I matter. Don't, he's just like, yep. D- don't want to talk about it. <laughs> We're talking about the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. In the Premier League, he is certainly overrated. Yes. He's, he's good for a clanger or two every season, which is always enjoyable for us. Yeah, exactly. All right, so get your League 2 table out. Um, I'll allow you to look at the okay. teams let me, again. Let me, let me pull this up. League. Okay. I'll, I'll remind everybody while you're pulling that up. English football trivia question of the day. Only two football clubs in England are not named after a place or location. Arsenal, formerly Woolwich Arsenal, which is where they stored all of their guns and ammunition, uh, were just changed to Arsenal instead of Woolwich Arsenal. Who is the other team? Your clues are this team plays in League Two, as we mentioned. And clue number two, this should be a big one for you, hopefully help you get it. The team is nicknamed the Valiants. Oh, that does not help. The Valiants? Um, okay, before I guess, I want to point out that, unfortunately, Scunthorpe, uh, off to a tough start to the season, three points from four matches. We're sitting... <laughs> In 18th, so with twenty with 24 clubs in uh, League 2, we're not in the relegation zone, which is great, but a, a tough start to the season for my lads at Scunthorpe. I know that Scunthorpe is not the club in question, um, because I know, I know that that is an actual place. The Valiants, um, yeah, I don't really know how that would help me, to be honest with you. Um, have, a, have a deeper look at the league. I think I think when I when I say it to you, you'd be disappointed if you don't do your due diligence. Here. Okay, one more quick scan before I toss out my guess. The Valiance, the Valiance, the Valiance. Um. Is it Forest Green? That doesn't sound like a place. No, it's not. Um. Okay, your your answer to your question for this week is Port Vale. Ah, vale for the Valiant. I was staring at that, and I was like, could it be... Because it's not Port Val. So, I, I don't know. I got in my own head there. Okay, I should have guessed Vale. Yep, so Port Vale is the correct answer. So, Arsenal and Port Vale are the only two football clubs in England not named after a place or location. thought that was a neat fact. I love that fact. Yes, that is a fantastic yep. fact. We we finally have an episode after seventy four that we cover both Port Vale and Jamaica. So that this has and, been a good and one. Bright, and Brighton in depth. <laughs> and Brighton in depth. Yeah, this was a unique pod for a number of reasons, um, but a good one at that. Well, I wish everybody a lovely weekend uh, watching the Premier League, especially those uh, fixtures that we pointed out. Notice we did not point out. Uh, the Newcastle fixture, because we don't necessarily recommend that you watch that. Um, nope. Nope. But yeah, any any closing words before our, our next episode in um, in a fortnight's time? Uh, yeah, I do want to wish a very happy 40th birthday to my lovely wife, Heather, who is turning 40 tomorrow on the 25th. So very, very um, excited to celebrate with her. She's awesome, puts up with me, so she must be have the patience of a saint and be a great, great supporter. Dedicated False Nines listener, Heather, happy birthday. Thank you, sir. (laughs) All right. Until next time, Adam. Footy. Footy.